Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, again, welcome. It's good to see you. Uh, today I'm going to do something really foolish. We're going to talk about politics. Now, when I say foolish, I think it's dangerous to talk about politics, certainly in a time in a space like this. And let me share a little bit about my fears. Within the church, we're very quick to pick up on political heresies, but not so much theological heresies. See, because we're so discipled by the politics specifically of our culture, and realize the politics we engage in are cultural The politics of the United States don't look like the politics of Kenya, and yet they're Christians in Kenya. The politics in the United States are different than the politics of France. And so when we talk about politics, we're talking about something that's very temporal. It's localized. But that's not how your heart engages in it. Often we equate it as if it's from God himself. We are so passionate about it, we are so engaged in it, that we don't see things from the perspective of the kingdom of God We see it from the perspective of Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or whatever you've been discipled by. And I want you to understand that is the language of politics. You have been discipled by certain philosophies and beliefs. And what we have to do, and it's fine, you want to engage in those ways, but you now have to take those beliefs and ideas, take them to Scripture, and allow the values of the kingdom of God to interrupt and intersect and speak into the ways we engage in the politics of America. It's good to engage, but we have to bring the, the politics of the kingdom of God in first. So that's what we're going to do today. From a high vantage point, we're going to say, let's start with the kingdom first. So that's my first warning, is be careful. I'm not an expert in politics. I'm a pastor. I know some pastors are very much engaged. I'm not a political expert. So if you hear words and you hear those words and you assign political meaning to them, that may not be what I mean. Because, see, I'm approaching things simply from what Scripture is teaching and not so much your political agendas. So be careful because in America, politics is our religion. And we tend to take out people as heretics when they don't line up with where we are. So let's show some grace in that. Second, I'm white. I know it's surprising. I know some of you looked up and said, really, he is? I am white, and I'm an evangelical. That automatically puts me in a certain position and place. And I want you to understand, evangelical is not a voting block. Evangelical means one who is excited about the gospel. And so when I use evangelical, and I use that word, I'm going to use it in very different meanings and terms. But I also have to know, when I'm evaluating the politics of my country as a white evangelical, there is a message that I tend to receive more because people say, well, I think this is where this person is politically. And if I start to evaluate the right harder than the left, that's simply because it's the water that I'm often in. And I'm not suggesting that the left is more correct or the right is more correct. Just understand, as a white guy who is an evangelical, that's the messages that I'm receiving. So if I'm criticizing something, it's not to draw you to one side or to the other. It's simply because that's what's coming at me and that's what I'm evaluating. Does that make sense? So that's kind of where we are. I hope you guys are already all locked in. 
Now realize, when Jesus showed up, the world was very, very political. The politics of the United States and the division is not unique. Now, it may be unique to you or to our experience, but when the Jews engaged in politics, there were very strong and diverse views. And they argued about the best best way to deal with oppression. They dealt with issues of taxation. They talked about these things. And when Jesus showed up, Jesus talked about the politics of the day. But when Jesus addressed politics, he always brought the attention of the people back to the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about politics. Because, see, politics is really the policies of running a city. And in the Greek, polis, when you hear that polis, that means city. That's the Greek word for city. Politics is the administration of the city. Well, Jesus talked about that. How should we engage as citizens? Should we pay taxes? I think somebody asked Jesus, hey, what do you think about taxes? And Jesus answered. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about politics. He did not have anxiety when it came to political parties or political issues. Jesus engaged, but when he engaged, he always brought your attention back to the greater kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. And he would show you how the kingdom of of the world is temporal. And so when we start talking about political parties, we're talking about temporal realities. When we're talking about the values of the kingdom, we're talking about eternal realities. Now, that doesn't mean that temporal realities aren't important. They're important. Because we live in a temporal reality. My life is temporal, and it's pretty important. But we do have to evaluate our political realities in light of eternal realities. And so what we have to do is take those ideas that we believe in and say, well, how does that apply to what I believe as a citizen of heaven or as a, one who is an ambassador of Christ? So as we engage into this, let's allow ourselves to evaluate what we believe Certainly, we want our our beliefs to line up with our policies, but let's hear from Scripture and begin to walk through this as we put the kingdom of God first and then start to understand what's the role of government, what's the role of a Christian in government, and we're going to walk this out over the next four weeks. So you guys ready? You locked in? You okay? No tomatoes out there, right? No one's going to throw anything or, okay. Anyways, no emails this week, all right, guys? Just be patient with me. I'm going to do my best. Let's jump in. Philippians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, let's open it. Let's go to the Word of God, Philippians chapter 3. Pick it up in verse 17. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example, the patterns that we've set for you. For many of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Here's the contrast. But rather, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. See, this Savior is the Lord, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I just ask, as citizens of heaven and dwelt by the Holy Spirit under the authority and the banner of Christ is Lord, Father, would you teach us? 
we can admit, Lord, that in our politics, our earthly politics, we don't get everything right. But Jesus, you are the one who is the right hand of God the Father. You want to teach us, direct us, guide us that our heart, our mind, our emotions, our values, our behavior lines up first with the kingdom and then allows us to engage in the world in ways that allow your administration and your values to be seen and felt and experienced. So guide us into this this time in Jesus' name, amen. Notice when he ends in verse 21, he says, he has the power that enables him to subject all things to himself meaning everything is under the authority of Jesus, and that includes our politics. I submit my politics to the authority of Jesus Christ. When we start talking about politics, that's where you gotta begin. You've gotta start and say, okay, I want to increasing, what's discipleship? Increasingly submitting every aspect of my life under God's authority and his empowering presence. So in this week, what we're doing is, God, I want to submit my political background, my political beliefs under your authority. Will you allow Jesus to humbly mess with your stuff, to mess with your ideologies, with your beliefs, with your backgrounds? Because here's the reality. All of us have a different story in this, right? I don't think everyone, did we all grow up in the same home? Were our parents all voting the exact same way? Did they all value? I think we did, didn't we? Was, was it? No, we all came from different directions, which means these passionate realities, we, we're all engaging in different, different places, and we need to start with that reality. I need to submit this to the authority of Jesus Christ. So that's where we start. And so what's Paul describing in this passage? Now, he's contrasting the difference between living for the values of earth so their God is their belly. They're, he's just saying, if you try to fill eternity into this lifetime, you're going to live for the wrong things. Instead, we don't live for just the earthly temporal experiences. We live for the values of the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's your citizenship. Your passport, your embassy is in heaven. Now, heaven is not just a temporal, local place. Heaven means the presence of God. So Matthew will say the kingdom of heaven is here. Other gospels say the kingdom of God is here. When it says kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, it's not saying Chicago. It's not saying New York. It's not talking about a location. It's talking about the rule and the reign of God. And one day, the kingdom of heaven will be here. What does that mean? It's going to cover everything. Heaven will cover all things. What's going to happen is heaven's going to descend And it's called the new heavens and the new new earth. And in God's presence, all that is broken is made whole, including our politics, including our bodies, including our emotions. Jesus will heal all things. And so we are citizens of God's presence and of God's values. And he's contrasting. When we're living by earthly values, this is what it looks like. When we're living by heavenly values, this is what it looks like. And for Christians, we are citizens of heaven now. And that's always the case. So right now, across the globe, there are citizens of heaven that are worshiping King Jesus in every corner of the globe. Do we all agree on every political aspect of life? Do Kenyans and French and the English and the... Okay, so there isn't one political party. Let's just start right there. Because we recognize if all we see is the American context, we're just one embassy of heaven but we're in the United States. There's an embassy of heaven in Kenya, in Canada, in Mexico, in Brazil, in Iraq, in Iran, 
all of us engage in that political sphere in different ways. There's not one political party. There is one kingdom, and we are citizens. Now, what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? Now, the people, the church in Philippi, they were in a Greek city, okay? Philippi was a Greek city, so they had Greek culture, they had Greek life, but it was a Roman colony. And so the Romans wanted to take all their art, their, their great music, their food, their sculptures, and they wanted Roman life to pretty much populate the entire world. So they would set up colonies, and they would take retired soldiers, they would take Roman people, and they would send them out all across the earth to make Philippi as it is in Rome. And so if you lived in Rome and you grew up in Rome and you're enjoying Rome and then you took this long trip over to Philippi, you go, wow, they got the same food. Cool, they got the same music, they got the same art because the goal of a Roman was to bring Rome to every corner of the earth. Does that make sense? Same movies, same music, same lifestyle. Well, he's saying just as Rome has gone out and colonized, the values of Rome, the food of Rome, the aroma of Rome is everywhere we're supposed to bring heaven everywhere. The aroma, the food, the sculpture, the art, the values, the belief systems, that's your primary responsibility as a citizen of heaven who has dual citizenship in the United States of America. You are a citizen of heaven first. You've gotta put that cap on. You gotta have that heart, that, that mentality before you engage in the politics of the United States. Otherwise, things get weird. And we start equating the politics of the U.S. with the politics of Jesus. And that's really messed up because there are Kenyans that don't do that. There are people all across. Do you with me on that? Sometimes what happens is we so equate, and we so equate the words liberal and conservative with our own beliefs. Sometimes conservative means Christian for some people. Liberal means non-Christian. That's not okay. That's weird. Why is that weird? Because we are a colony of heaven. And sometimes what we do is we take earthly terms and we equate them with eternal terms and it messes the whole thing up. Sometimes we use the language of good and evil, absolute good and absolute evil. That also messes us up. Because when we start talking about politics, we're always talking about temporal kingdoms. Temporal kingdoms are temporal, right? And when we vote, we're voting for a worldly kingdom. We're not voting for the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God hasn't shown up and said, vote for me. No, we're voting for the difference between two worldly options in a temporal kingdom. But we are citizens of heaven, and we should reflect in that temporal kingdom the values of the kingdom of God. Okay, so what does that look like? Let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Pick this up in verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. So we are ambassadors. We are an embassy. The church is an embassy of heaven in the United States, and God is making his appeal through us. So God's appeal is only coming through the church, through his embassy. We implore you, and this is our message, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In all our policies and the ways we engage, we're saying be reconciled to God for, for our sake, Jesus, or God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors, which means we represent the message of our king, the methods of our king, and the means of our king. 
our message always belongs to Christ first. And so any message we bring, we have to say, well, how does that line up with the message of the king? Now, if you jump back in chapter 1, verse 27, it's interesting how Greek words get translated in different ways. And so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul said this. He says, only let your manner of life, and that word manner of life is one Greek word in the Greek, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is really interesting. Remember when it said you're citizens of heaven? Now, that citizen is a noun. Manner of life is a verb, but it's the same root word. He's saying, let your citizenship of life be worthy of the gospel. May the way you live out your values. When he's saying manner of life, it's the same word citizen. You're a citizen of heaven. Therefore, let the engagement of your life be worthy of that which reflects the gospel. Is our life a reflection of what God values? Is our life a reflection of the gospel that we believe in? Because when we engage, we start as citizens first, citizens of heaven. And what we're waiting for, what we're hoping in, is we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know where our hope is found. We don't transfix, we don't put false hopes on temporal realities to bring about eternal results. Now, that's the reality in, but often what happens, our emotions are not there. Because often what we do is we take temporal realities and we put all our hopes in them. And so we start using the language of fear. We start using the language as us versus them. That language is not a part of the kingdom of God. God did not come and say, hey, some people have value and some people don't. No, he said all humanity is crowned with glory and honor. In our politics, what we tend to do is turn an us versus them. We go into tribalism. We don't value things according to how God values them. Rather, we value people according to what they believe politically. And we say, you have value and you don't based on your policies. But see, that's a temporal way of seeing things. It's not eternal. And so we want to see things from eternal perspective. So what does that mean? Let me just kind of apply this real quick. As we gather today, we are gathering with a political stance. And Jesus, when he came, he made a very strong political statement. You ready for this? He said, repent. For the kingdom of God is here. That is a political statement. And when we gather, we're making a political statement. We're saying Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over our country, our life. He's Lord over our bodies, our money, our lives. And we sing songs that are political songs because they're to our king. And, and we instruct each other. And the commandments of Scripture are political policies. What's a political policy? It's how you take your political beliefs and live them out. What did Jesus say? Care for the least of these. We have a policy as Christians, care for the poor. God says, hey, I want you to be aware of the stranger, the immigrant, the alien. Now, it's the government's job to protect borders. My job is to care for the immigrant. We're going to talk about the government's role. See, when Christians take on the government's role, it gets weird. The government does certain things. Christians engage in certain ways. It's the government's job to police. It's my job to show up to the incarcerated. That's my policy. Because that's the heart of my king. Do you see the difference? 
The government plays certain roles. As Christians, God has given us commands. Those commands are the policies of his kingdom. He says you need to protect the defenseless, whether that's the unborn, whether that's the person who's cast out in our society and doesn't have a voice. We have to engage according to the values. And see, as a church, we have policies for all that stuff. We have policies for caring for the poor. We have ministries that are set up to go out and to feed those who are hungry, to build homes. Like Habitat for Humanity is a policy of the kingdom in the sense of they're building homes because that's what the king would want. And so as we engage, realize as Christians, we have policies. We move out in the same way as a political party. But with Christ as our Lord, it should look very different than the values and policies of the world. The church is deeply political. But our starting point must be the kingdom of God. So how do we live this out? I wanna, what I want to do is jump back in Philippians chapter 4. Because often we disagree. I mean, don't we? A little bit. Uh, God, come on, we do disagree a little when it comes to... And, and as a pastor, I've been a pastor since 1995, and I've heard Christians say a lot of things when it comes to politics. And I've heard it even in this season, if I could just be honest. I've heard people say, you know, I, I don't think you can be a Christian and vote for this person. I don't think you can be a Christian and vote for that person. Or, you know, that person may be a Christian, but they're just not filled with the Spirit. Because if they were filled with the Spirit, they would see it the right way. So often the language we use is kind of disconnected from the reality of Scripture. So let's jump in. How does Scripture describe the way that we are to engage with each other around these issues? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, there's a conflict that Paul addresses. So watch this. Verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree, and here's the key phrase, in the Lord. Now, we're going to talk about what that means. And I ask you, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So here's a disagreement. Yodia and Syntyche. And it's an important enough disagreement that it's causing, it's causing the church to kind of rumble with conflicts. People are taking sides. Kind of politics, right? We take sides. We agree with one person against another. Notice he says he doesn't address what the problem is, and it's not a theological issue. Otherwise, Paul would address it. When there's theological problems in the church, and he says, hey, you should believe this, and you shouldn't believe that, he addresses that stuff. In this case, he's saying there's a disagreement. But guys, whatever you're disagreeing about, recognize your agreement is in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Any disagreement you have is so secondary to your agreements that it should not create division. So for example, what happens when someone hurts you? Someone says something about you and you're, you're bitter, you're angry, you're mad at that person. That person's a fellow brother and sister in Christ. What we tend to do is to elevate the hurt to the level of being our Lord. We see that person through the lens of what they did to us. You know, he's only a liar. She's only a gossip. We minimize, we characterize a person. And we're, what we're doing is we're elevating the conflict to the point that it's lording over us and it's directing our behaviors and our emotions. But what Paul's saying is Jesus is Lord. That your unity in Christ is, is greater than any disunity you can have in an earthly kingdom, which means as if you're a Republican and you have friends that are Republicans but they're not Christians. And then you meet a very left-leaning Christian. 
but that Christian believes the same thing, goes to the same embassy, has the same message, but believes in a different set of policies. You have more in agreement with that liberal-leaning person than you do your non-Christian Republican friends. And let's go to the other side because we want to treat everybody the same here. If you're a Democrat and, and you believe in Christ and you worship him as Lord and you sing his songs and you've got friends, Democrats, that are non-Christians, and you see this very right-leaning Republican who worships the same Jesus, who has the resurrection power within him through the Holy Spirit, who believes in the inerrant word of God, but has a different set of policies and how that works out in a temporal kingdom. You have more in common with your brother or sister in Christ who disagrees with you on political matters. Now, it doesn't feel that way, does it? It's because we have taken temporal things and we've elevated them to the place of eternal promise. And it's not because those things aren't important or we shouldn't engage. This is not saying we should all agree with each other. It doesn't mean we shouldn't debate and debate passionately and engage with each other and talk about these issues and be open about where we are and why we think certain policies within our country should go certain ways. But in the end, if we divide on those issues, we're saying Christ isn't Lord. Because we're, what we're doing is we're saying Christ isn't powerful enough. Christ isn't great enough. These issues are greater. And so I'm going to disconnect. And hear, hear me on this. The statistics are most Christians will go to churches that they believe align with them politically. But theology isn't as important. And that's just a reality. Church, which means, again, what I'm saying to you, I'm not saying those issues aren't important. And I'm not even saying there could be right and wrong. What I'm saying to you is we have elevated the temporal to such an extent that we're doing relationships, we're doing uh, policies, we're doing life through the value of a temporal kingdom rather than doing it through the value of an eternal kingdom. Agree with each other in the Lord. Why? Because Republican and Democrat will disappear, just like Whigs and Federalists. Any Federalists here? We got, any, we got those? Any Whigs? Those things are temporal, guys. And I know they're important, but they're temporal. We agree in the Lord. And we have to start learning to see things from that vantage point. Otherwise, we're going to engage in ways that create division where God says there shouldn't be division. Do you see that? So we have to agree in the Lord. Doesn't mean we don't talk about it. Doesn't mean we don't argue. It doesn't mean we don't push. It means that in the end, that's my brother and sister in Christ. And that's what makes us one. Now, second, watch this. As we move on in, in verse five, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. And notice the language he uses, let your reasonableness. Now, this word in, in the Greek, it's translated a lot of different ways. It's a weird word. Sometimes it's translated, let your gentleness uh, let your reasonableness be known to all, for the Lord is at hand. Now, here's the contrast. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So two commands, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, but who should you let your anxieties be known to? God. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your anxieties be known to not God. In political seasons, we let our anxieties be known to everyone and we lose reasonableness. The challenge we have, when we have a king, we submit our anxieties and our fears to the king. We don't use fear as a motivator in life because, see, perfect love drives out fear. Now, there's natural fears. If, you're, if your life is at stake or something you care about is at stake, there's a normal sense of fear around valuing things. And we should value our country. We should value our nation. There's an, a normal place of fear. But when we use motivating factors of fear or we predict, you know, if we go in this direction, everything's going to fall apart. And this is on both sides. And I've, I've seen enough elections where the good things they say are going to happen don't always fully happen. Would you guys agree with that? And the bad things that are going to happen don't always fully happen. And sometimes the worst things can happen and Jesus is still Lord. And sometimes Jesus actually uses really bad events in life and he brings out the kingdom of God. Do you realize in, in the story of Scripture how many bad kings there are? And some of them represented him. And yet he used their brokenness to bring about his kingdom. God is always, always, always in control. We have to take our political temporal anxieties to him first instead of bringing our anxieties to each other. Because here's what happens. When you bring your anxiety against my anxiety, I want my anxiety to win. <laughs> That's just my personal. Anybody else here? Because you bring your anxiety, oh, you know, I'm all amped up and this and this and this, these people are horrible and this is what's wrong in our country. And I'm like, no, this is what's wrong. And what we're doing is we're, we're multiplying anxiety upon anxiety and that leads to chaos. God is not, our God is not a God of confusion. And the challenge is sometimes I need grace towards you. Sometimes I'm bringing my anxieties to the Lord and you're not. <laughs> and sometimes I, I'm not bringing my anxieties to the Lord and you are. And, but the point is we have to engage with reasonableness, which means we bring all our hopes, all our expectations to our king. We lay him at his feet and say, Jesus, this is what I want, right? I want to see this reality. I want to see this, this. I want my country to go in this direction. But Jesus, you're Lord as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. Father, bring about your will. I surrender myself to you. I'm gonna vote, I'm gonna engage, but you're in control. Is that the language of Fox News? Is that the language of CNN? No. You're gonna get the language of anxiety. If you're anxious, turn it off. Church, you're being discipled. Those viewpoints are not the viewpoints of the kingdom of God. Shut it off. And you need to start building relationships with aspects of the church that disagree with you politically. One of the things I miss most about being in Texas is my black brothers and sisters in Christ. Church, we don't have a lot of diversity. There's not much we can do about that. But what we need to do is there are pockets of Americans who think this is the word of God, and they think it's infallible. There are pockets of Christians that, that believe everything we believe, that Christ is Lord and the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, but they vote differently. Are we engaging them? The beauty of being in the church is you can have real conversations because you're united around Christ. You don't walk away because you disagreed about politics. Do you realize the benefit that we have as Christians are we having those conversations? If your anxiety is in politics, no. You're not going to go there because you don't want to hear it. You don't want to change. You're right. They're wrong. But if you agree in the Lord, you're going to be reasonable. 
you're gonna recognize my brothers and sisters in Kenya, my brothers and sisters in Iraq have different political ideas than I do. We're all in different places. It matters, but Christ is Lord. Do you hear that? We have to learn to engage as the body of Christ. And Christians should be the best informed because we've got Christians in every corner, every political, even libertarians. They're just happy to be mentioned, right? We've got those too. And when we engage with Christ as Lord as our foundation, we can engage with love, joy, peace, patience, kind of goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control with passion, with insight. But are you engaging across those lines? Often we think that's crossing Christian, non-Christian. That's not true because they're in every corner. In 2016, I'm a white evangelical. We predominantly voted for Trump. In 2016, the African evangelical church voted for Clinton. We've got to find out why. We've got to have honest conversations and engage around those because here's why. In the end, when Christ comes back and he sets up his, king, his, his kingdom and his lordship, what we're going to find is that often in different ways, we valued some things too much. We valued some things too little. But what if right now, through the power of the Spirit, we just invite God to start convicting us? How do we need to engage? What are the things that matter to God? And how can we as a community support one another to live out the values of the kingdom, to look at the policies and, and all that's out there and allow the kingdom of God to speak first so that we represent him, our king, and our hope is in him. Let's move out first with a kingdom in place because see, once the kingdom is established and you're standing on that rock, which is Christ, now you can start talking about government. And you can start talking about how a Christian actually engages in the political sphere, but we've got to start with the kingdom first. Otherwise, it all falls down. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that when the gospel was preached, I was on the wrong political side. Father, sin is, I know sin is, I'm Lord. My passions are Lord. My body is Lord. My beliefs are Lord. Salvation is Jesus, your Lord. And you rescued us with enemy love. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's the cross, the resurrection that is revealed. Father, it's revealed the ethics of the kingdom. It's revealed what transforms life, what open, opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And so, Father, I pray in this season. There are many things that are important to us. Some of us are anxious. We're overwhelmed. We see the conflicts in our streets. We see the anger, the vitriol. Father, come now. First, come in us to heal us and strengthen us and allow us to be a part of that solution, to move out to the world with reasonableness and gentleness, not just anger and greater volume. And Father, I pray just right now, even for our president, tell us to pray for a governing authority. So we should. We should lift up those who are in leadership, whether it's the governor of Colorado, whether it's our president. Father, bless them. Give them wisdom. Guide them down a path of righteousness and lead us as the embassy of heaven to represent you in this year. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.